All right, here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monster Soundwave. I am your host, Robert Snow, and we have got a doozy of an episode for you tonight. Hopefully it doesn't go too long. We're going to look at the new Unearthed Arcana, uh, all about the heroes of Kryn. And then we're also going to talk about druids tonight. And then we've got a little Kickstarter to show you at the end. And by show, I mean to tell you about because you cannot hear with your eyes. So uh, with me tonight. Uh, returning is Joe McElroy. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing pretty good. And uh, what have you been up to for the last couple weeks? Well, past two weeks and all, I've been doing some prep sessions for my Avernus game where my party uh, got into a unfair contract of having to hunt down a gargantuan abyssal chicken as part of their thing so that they could get out of that. And uh, decided to also raid Mordenkainen's Wizard Tower down in Avernus for ill-gotten goods and gains. They were very pleasant sessions. It was a nice... Probably my favorite part, though, was having them chase down this chicken with uh, their Infernal War machines, traps, and different little roving, roaming gangs that were attacking them all along the way. Very Mad Max level of effort, and they had a blast. Good. Good. And uh, also, Evan Barton. How's it going, Evan? Uh, getting better. I'm kind of just getting over being sick, which you can kind of tell a little bit in my voice. So apologies if I uh, sound a little off. But the good news is I'm mostly on the mend. So, uh, you know, I've been kind of bleh for a little bit. So that's good news that I'm feeling better. Um D&D wise, the uh, game I'm running, which you are in, we've officially moved into the Red Hand of Doom territory and the party had their first encounter with Hopgoblins. And as you're well aware, it did not go well for the party in that first encounter. Yeah. In fact, your character may have been killed. And again, I'm sorry. Well, he's he's definitely dead. But, uh, you know, it just gives me a chance to uh, play around with 5e even more and build a new character. And uh, that wizards are squishy. What can you say? It has, hasn't changed. Okay. Uh, also tonight, we have uh, somebody in our fourth chair um, joining us for the first time. Uh, Ashley Rains. How are you doing this evening, Ashley? Good. Good. Happy to be here. That's great. And uh, so, Ashley, how long have you been involved with like D and D role playing games, that type of stuff? Oh man, that makes me feel old. Um, <laughs> I know some people who have been in it for a longer bit, probably close to ten years now. Yeah. I'm not thinking too hard about it. And um, so, what are you doing now with D and D? What are the different things that you're like involved with? I really like to DM, um, so I am running a game for my coworkers, but I have three other games on a weekly basis, so um, yeah, I, I play a lot. I also like to dabble in other RPGs, so. Wow. You're out, you're out DMing all of us, <laughs> single-handedly. <laughs> 
So wait, do you, do you DM all four of those games or no? No, I DM one of those games. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. That's <laughs> I was like, I cannot imagine DMing three games on a weekly basis, but that the, that seems much more manageable. The only way I could maybe see that working is if I'm running the same module for three different groups, which is kind of fun to see how they handle it differently. But yeah, yeah, that's cool. All right, well, uh, let's get into it here. Um, our good friends over at Wizards of the Coast have blessed us with a new Unearthed Arcana. Um, so the previous one that they released were Races of the Plains or Races of the Multiverse or something like that. And so today, or not today, er- earlier this month, they released Heroes of Kryn. Uh, Kryn being one of the main areas in uh, the Dragonlance campaign setting. So we heard that we were getting some classic campaign settings this year. Uh, and, you know, depending on the timing of everything and the writing and the shipping, uh, looks like something Dragonlance related will be out later this year. Uh, Evan, excited about the idea of Dragonlance being one of the new settings or just a little math for you? I'm excited about it, but at the same time, uh, kind of waiting to see what they do with it as much as anything else. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I like the setting, so, you know, we'll see. Um, Ashley, do you have any experience with Dragonlance or the books or the novels or anything like that? I, I just started the novel series and I actually, I read a one-off called Soulforge way back in high school. I didn't realize it was part of the series. Um, it's an interesting world. Uh, yeah, I am excited for some of the races and uh, at least the culture of some of the stuff going on in Dragonlance. Cool. Uh, Joe, any any thoughts about Dragonlance as one of the settings we're going to get this year? I don't know enough about Dragonlance to really uh, make an informed opinion about it, but all I remember when I saw Kender within this article all I could think back to is our friend Jeremy playing a Kender during one of our games in college and him accidentally burning down an inn's kitchen after convincing the chef to let him cook within it. He was a gully dwarf, actually. I was oh my god. Never mind. <laughs> I am completely incorrect. Yeah, dude, You're right. <laughs> get, get your 10-year memory on what... what I am an old man. Like I'm losing it. Were, uh, back in college get, knock, knock that knock some sense into your head there Joe um, <laughs> but okay. either way of the of the stuff in there like the Kender trade sounded really good um, and yeah I know we'll get into this yeah so that's a perfect lead in the Kender is the race that is in here it's small but it still has a walking feet of or walking speed of 30 feet which is nice uh, they've got an advantage on saving throws to avoid or end the frightened condition on themselves. Uh, they can taunt people, uh, which uh, forces, you know, they have to, they have a 60 foot range. They can yell at somebody. They have to pass a wisdom save. And if they don't, they either have to attack you or have disadvantage on attack rolls till the start of your next turn. And then they also have a fun little thing that doesn't click in until third level called Kender Ace. And so they can reach into a bag or container that they're carrying and roll on the Kender Aces table. Uh, The object glimmers softly. 
and uh, disappears after one hour, and you can use this bonus action a number of times equal to their proficiency bonus. And you regain all of those uses when you finish a long rest. So here are the six things that they can pull out of their pocket. 5d6 gold pieces, one simple weapon of your choice that has the light property, one item of your choice from the adventurer's gear table in the player's handbook. Uh, it has to cost less than one gold piece and weigh no more than one pound. One random item from the trinkets table in the player's handbook. Your choice of a crowbar or grappling hook and one item of your choice from the tools table in the player's handbook must cost no more than 10 gold pieces. Uh, so this is kind of like an interesting little interesting little race here uh, with a little bit of like RNG uh, for this like grab something out of a bag. Uh, what do you guys think about it? I like it. Seems like some chicanery can happen with it. Yeah. Um I I think I like it, but I I feel like it's the Kender Ace stuff is fun, the taunt stuff is fun. Um it's nice that it's a small race, but it doesn't have a speed of twenty feet, I think. Um Ashley, any thoughts about this uh this race? I, I have a lot, and I, I didn't mean to be rude and correct Joe, but I was the kinder, and that's why I kind of care. Um, so, like, to me, what I love about kinders is that they, they don't really have a sense of possession, at least in the original lore. They don't have a sense of possession. So whenever they would pick people's pockets and pick random things up, it was, and I, like, there's an idea of like, well, you can't, no one can own this and it's pretty cool. So I'm going to hold on to it for a little while until someone else gains it. Um, so I really love this uh, Kender Ace thing. I think that really does a pretty decent job of representing of like random things they pick up and what they might have on them at any time. Um, yeah. I also, I love the taunt. I almost wish that wasn't an action. It's a passive ability because I think like in the lore, they just are obnoxious. Um, and get on people's nerves occasionally. I, 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 I like it. I hope they flesh out the lore some more. Yeah, it is. It is cool that it's a bonus action. Um, so yes. it, it doesn't take up your whole turn to to do the taunting. Um, Evan, any thoughts about the Kender? I mean, I have always loved Kender as a race. Uh, uh I know in the uh community there's always been the concern that people will use kender and kind of to grief parties but you know if you know if you're that kind of player then it really doesn't matter the race you're going to choose anyway so that's never really bothered me so yeah i think it's dope um again you know it's one of those things where you know this is an unearthed arcana and so you know we'll see what the finished product looks like but uh i think it looks pretty cool here um but uh yeah, um, I've never played a Kender, but, you know, as someone who enjoy, who's read Dragonlance and, you know, has run Dragonlance games, I think they're a really cool race. Yeah. Um, we also get a subclass here, the Sorcerer um, with the Origin of Lunar Magic. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of their different, like, spells and abilities, but basically, as they go through their level progression... They um, 
get bonuses to different types of spells based on the phase of the moon. So there's full moon, new moon, and crescent moon. And so they get bonuses um, at sixth level uh, to different types of magic, depending on the moon type. Uh, they also gain the ability by spending a sorcery point to change their lunar phase. And then at 14th level, they get some um, some actions uh, uh, that affect their magic based on the moon. And then at 18th level, they get some pretty powerful features. Um, Evan, let's kick this to you first. Uh, were you able to look through this? And was there anything that stuck out to you as really interesting about this, uh, about this class? Uh, the class itself? I mean, I thought, you know, again, you know, I kind of reiterate what I said before, which is, you know, I'm always kind of hesitant to make final judgments on anything in an Unearthed Arcana just because, you know, it's always going to appear different when it's finally in print. But uh, as someone who's read a lot of Dragonlance, it's kind of interesting that um to see that they're going with, because I don't want to go on a whole lore tangent, but just because, like, magic works so differently in the uh, Kryn Dragonlance setting and the way the, the moons affect sorcery and whatnot. And I'm just kind of curious because they, they don't really go so much into it in the Unearthed Arcana, and that makes me kind of curious uh, how much they're going to do with that in 5e for that setting. Just because, like, not with without going into a whole bunch of lore, but just because there are basically three different moons in Kryn, and depending on what your alignment is, um, you correspond to one of the different moons of magic, and that affects your spells, and each one of the moons is in a different phase, and there's, like, a whole chart, and because 5e is a lot more simple, it lets me, leads me to think, like, are they going to kind of shy away from that a little bit? Just because, like, I know in, like, 3-5 Dragonlance, keeping track of that could be complicated, but at the same time, it was kind of cool just because it did affect magic, and, you know, it was a whole other aspect. So, I, I don't know, you know. Um, and that's just, you know, coming at it from someone who knows the setting really well. So, we'll see. Yeah, yeah it'll be interesting to see how much um, those different, like, setting-specific, uh, like, right. um how much the setting specific lore plays into some of the different uh, rules and like some of the crunch that right. comes along with that book. Uh, Cause right. I do think it's a, it's a very interesting setting and it'll be interesting to see how does the, you know, how much of what's in that book is going to be able to be pulled out of that book to just a regular setting and how much of it is like uh, going to be, more focused around that specific Dragonlance setting. Right. Um, Joe, you were looking through this. Uh, anything that stuck out to you that you thought was really cool? So I kind of like the fact that uh, with the Lunar uh, subclass, you're able to, like, on a long rest, and especially because sorcerers, like, you only get such a limited number of spells that this kind of gives a way that you can, you know, every long rest you pick basically what moon cycle full moon new moon crescent moon and at the beginning of the day and that affects what kind of spells are counted as part of spells you know but don't count against the spell slots you have so it gives kind of a little bit of additional 
uh, spells to play around with without having to completely sacrifice some stuff. So I thought that was kind of cool. And as, and as yeah. well that it gives like some different bonuses to uh, certain uh, schools of magic for your lunar boon where you can kind of reduce the number of sorcery points you spend when casting spells of a certain school. Yeah, that's that's really neat. I think this is going to be a, a pretty good subclass. I didn't mention that the the lunar spells uh, based on the moon phase, you get an extra spell at first, third, fifth, seventh, and ninth. So um, that's, or yeah, those are the levels that of the spells that you add to your list. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, Ashley, any thoughts here on the lunar sorcerer? I just got this a few minutes before we started talking. Um, I haven't taken a big look at it, but I am a total sucker for anything celestial in nature. So I am interested to see where it goes. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. We also got two new backgrounds. We're not going to spend a ton of time on these because we've got an entire druid class to dig through. Uh, but the backgrounds are the Knight of Salamnia and the Mage of High Sorcery. And they come with what you would see a lot of times, like with a background, two skill proficiencies. Um, you get tool proficiencies if you're a Knight of Salamnia. You get a language uh, and you get some equipment. Um, you don't get any tools with the Mage of High Sorcery, but you do get an extra language. Um, and again, some more equipment. And then both of these also come with the fact that you gain a feat. And these are both um, not necessarily setting specific feats necessarily, but they are feats that are introduced in this Unearthed Arcana. So you get both the Initiate of High Sorcery, if you're a um, Mage of High Sorcery, or you get a Squire of Salamnia if you're a um if you're a knight of salamnia and we saw this back in strixhaven which uh your background the backgrounds in that gave you a feat that was kind of specific to that setting um and so we're seeing a feat for these this one goes a step further and um at fourth level if you have that if you have that feat from your background uh there are three more uh, feats that you can take. Um, so in interesting uh, abilities here. Um, I, I don't know how much this is going to play into kind of our 5.5, 6th edition, whatever the 2024 reboot is, but it seems like backgrounds are going to give you some kind of feat uh if if it follows what we've seen in Strixhaven and in this unearthed arcana what do you guys think about backgrounds kind of growing in importance as far as what they give you you know beyond just a couple of uh lore pieces and a couple of um it kind of feels like the way the Strixhaven in the way of how these backgrounds are kind of only super relevant if you're playing in a Dragonlance setting or if you're just 
you know, trying to min max of like, oh, hey, this this uh you know benefit from the extra magic that uh the initiate or the uh what was the other one called? The knight. The yeah, mage of high sorcery and initiate of high sorcery, like those ones right there give some better benefits than probably like your you know standard affair of like an acolyte or um uh one of the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Evan, uh, any thoughts on these backgrounds and and kind of a, a feat progression being built into them? Uh, I think it might be a glimpse into that. Um, I could see maybe uh, a 5.5 or 6 edition where backgrounds are now a much more informative piece of a character where maybe even like uh, backgrounds are maybe even more informative than race now. Um, yeah, I, I think that that might be just based on some of like the heat that Wizards of the Coast took with some of the racial stuff over the last two years. I think moving, uh, race to be a little less, uh, races to have less diversity or less attached to what race you pick and more more of your crunch being attached to what background you take uh, might be something that we see going forward. Um, all right. Anybody have anything else they want to share about Heroes of Kryn, Dragonlance, the stuff in this unearthed arcana before we move on to our druids? I'm pretty good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, fun to see that stuff is in the works. It's It's always nice to see glimpses of the future. Um, for D and D, especially now that uh, now that um, we've we've got uh, Call of the Nether Deep out, and May has our uh, Monsters of the Multiverse uh, coming, so we don't really know what's coming after that. But I think you know we can start to see that uh, you know something is forming uh, in the future for us. All right. Let's get into the meat of this podcast. We are talking about our favorite shape-shifting, animal-befriending, nature-loving, moon-worshipping friends, the Druid. Uh, So it's our second Divine class in a row. We talked about the Cleric last time. And today we're going to talk about the Druid, uh, a staple of uh, D&D for quite some time. And so... Druids uh, have uh, some fun uh, proficiencies. They get a herbalism kit. Um, They get light and medium armor and shields, but they will not wear armor or use shields made of metal. Uh, That's kind of a lore piece, but also something to just think about as you're playing one. And then for weapons, they couldn't just write simple weapons. Instead, it is... Clubs, daggers, darts, javelins, maces, quarterstaff, scimitar, sickle, sling, spears, tool. <laughs> like, it, they could have written simple weapons, but I guess they just decided, <laughs> no, there's a couple simple weapons that they won't have proficiency in. Uh, they get saving throws and in intelligence and wisdom. They get two skills chosen from arcana, animal handling, insight, medicine, nature, perception, religion, and survival. And they get a hit die of a D8, and they have a special language profici- proficiency in Druidic. Druidic? 
Druidic. Um, Druidic. There you go. Um, what do you guys think of kind of the just from their proficiencies uh, where the druid kind of falls like in a party makeup? And pretty much an all rounder in a way. Like it's not. They're not going to be out there completely on the front line because it's only medium armor and shields and all, but they're definitely going to have some more health to take hits for compared to like, you know, your sorcerer or your wizard out there. Also, just of note, they are a full progression spellcasting class. Uh, so lots of spells involved in playing a druid. Um, next up, is their wild shape. So uh, starting at second level, they can change into a beast uh, that they have seen before. Uh, you can use this feature twice and you regain expended uses when you finish a short or long rest. And I think that short or long rest is really nice. It basically means as long as you're not deep in a dungeon, you've got not infinite uses, but you can use it plenty. Um, and the type of beast that you can change into uh, is based on your level. Uh, so at second level, your max CR for that beast is one quarter, and they can't have a flying or swimming speed. At fourth level, it's one half with no flying speed. And at eighth level, it's one, and there's no restrictions on the, or no limitations on the type of flying or swimming. And then what we'll see is that most of the druids abilities are tied up with their spellcasting abilities and the creatures that they can turn into. And then of course their subclasses because for the actual druid, we jump all the way down to 18th level. They get timeless body. Uh, they age more slowly for every 10 years that pass your body ages only one year. And they also get beast spells uh, you can cast many of your druid spells in any shape you assume using wild shape. You can perform the somatic and verbal components of a druid spell while in B shape, but you aren't able to provide material components. This is a really interesting uh, feature, and again, it's not till 18th level because it really depends on how much your DM tracks your material components or uh, you know the different components of a spell. But it's only for two levels because uh, at 20th level, you become an archdruid. You can use your wild shape an unlimited number of times. Additionally, you can ignore the verbal and somatic components of your druid spells, as well as any material components that lack a cost and aren't consumed by a spell. You gain this benefit in both your normal shape and your B shape from wild shape. Uh, we're going to play a game here uh, that we always play, which is... Uh, does the 20th level power of this class suck? Um, so, uh, Evan, we'll kick it over to you first. Uh, does becoming a 20th level Archdruid matter at all? Uh, I'd say the ability to uh, be able to wild champ an unlimited number of times is pretty sweet. Yeah. Just throwing that out there that, you know, compared to some of the 20th level abilities, uh, and additionally, being able to ignore the verbal and somatic components of your spells as well as material components, so you can be wild-shaped and blasting your spells at the same time, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Like, granted, at 20th level, I mean, that's a pretty high up there, but still, I mean, that's a pretty cool ability. Yeah. 
I would say it's definitely better than the Bard's 20th level ability. Yeah. Uh, Joe, give me your thoughts here on just like what the Druid gets um, before we get into subclasses. Uh, do you like Wild Shape? Is that something that you enjoy as a Druid? As a player, I really enjoy it because you get effectively you get extra HP to work with during like a combat or anything. So before being reverted, that's always beneficial. Uh, but at the same time, like as a DM fighting, you know, having players play as druids, it's already difficult when everybody's healing everybody up all the time, preventing the, you know, those tension moments of death saves being rolled. Um, where it's like, okay, you're, oh, you're just knocked out of your wild shape and you still have all your full health. All right. I mean, yeah, that, that is kind of their thing. Is, is it is. It's a hundred percent their thing. And that's why it's like, I, I, I love it, but also kind of hate it. And the arch druid for the capstone of druids is like Evan kind of mentioned that 20th level doesn't really matter too much. If you're not needing to use material components and the probably the best part about it is the no need for the verbal or semantic, you know, in the off chance that you're silently needing to cast your spells or not needing to be waving your hands about, but definitely the unlimited wild shapes are really good. Yeah. Um, Ashley, do you like druids? I love druids. Um, but I do have a dissenting opinion here. Uh, I I think the ability for like the first part of that, the unlimited numbers of wild shapes. Uh, like honestly, you get two. I think I don't know if it. I don't yeah. think it increases any other time. Right. It's but like two you regain rest. Right. So you regain them when you have a shorter long rest. So. I've not seen a druid use one or like more than two in a day, um, or before they needed had the ability to rest. That's not saying that a combat wouldn't invite that, but the second ability allowing them to cast spells while they're wild shaped is pretty awesome. Yes, I totally agree to that. Yeah, I think I think the sh- the fact that it's not you regain expended uses when you finish a long rest but it's that short or long rest really kind of because you get that at second level that really nerfs their 20th level thing. Because again, unless you're in some kind of dungeon where it's like, we can't stop for 15 minutes to take a short rest. Like, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit like the bard where it's like, how many times are you wild shaping so often that you, that you can't use that. All right. Um, so the druids, uh, their subclasses are their circles, and so we have seven circles that we're gonna dig into. Um, and so we've already mathed this out and figured out who's doing what. So Joe is gonna take us through the circle of spores as our as our first one that we're gonna look at. Yes. So the spore dru- the circle of spore druids. Uh, they came out from Ravnica. Uh, the Guildmasters of Ravnica book uh, was their first appearance. And I really love the Spore Druids just from a flavor aspect because, um, 
know, relates to the Golgari uh, guild from Ravnica because they're completely about just kind of that natural cycle of life and death and reuse as much of decaying components as possible, which is very much what spore droids are kind of about for that decay and finding beauty in it and all. Uh, as far as like their abilities and things, like it's pretty standard affair. You get specific circle spells uh, at every you know droid level for third, fifth, seventh, and ninth. A couple of things that might not have already been on the droid spell list, um, such as the like contagion or let me see which one was this again. Oh, it is on there already. But either way, you get some extra spells, which is always a good thing. Uh, and their unique abilities are like at second level, you get a halo of spores, which uh, pretty much anything that comes within your space uh, starts getting affected by... You can use your reaction to deal some necrotic damage uh, to those creatures around you. And while it's not the strongest and really doesn't scale the greatest... Uh, all the way through, having something that's just kind of free damage is pretty good. Yeah, and it's uh, necrotic damage, so that's fun. Yeah, very low chance of whatever you're fighting against probably getting resisted by it. Uh, and then there's also the symbiotic entity where you can um, use your wild shape to awaken those spores, and rather than transforming into your wild shape form of choice, you gain temporary hit points per your level uh, while this is active. Your Halo Spores damage, you can roll... You effectively have advantage. You roll the die damage twice, take the higher number, and you also can deal extra damage with your melee attacks. Lasts pretty long, and or until you lose the temporary hit points, or if you use your Wild Shape again, but it's really nice, I think. Yeah. Uh, at 6th level, you get Fungal Infestation, so you know those uh, real-life nature creatures that uh, infect ants and basically take over its brain to raise them up and explode out spores afterwards. This is basically what you can do with it, where you can animate your spores to uh, basically, if you see a, a creature die within 10 feet of you, you can force your spores to bring it back up to animate it as a zombie uh, under your control for an hour. Uh, so it'll obey your commands. It'll make the melee attack uh, for the attack action. It's pretty good. And you can use this up to the number of your wisdom modifier uh, uh, ability score. Which is, we should just mention, for druids, their spellcasting ability is tied to their wisdom. Yes, uh, very true. So, so you're going to want that to be buffed if you're playing a druid. Uh, then we have our 10th level for spreading spores, where you seed an area with deadly spores, uh, hurling them up to 30 feet away, uh, where they'll swirl in a 10-foot cube for a minute. Uh, they'll disappear if you use it again, or dismiss them as a bonus action, or if your symbiotic entity is no longer active. But whenever a creature moves into this cube or starts its turn, uh, it takes your Halo of Spores damage uh, unless they succeed on a uh, Constitution saving throw, and they can't take this more than once per turn. But while your Spores persist, you can't use your Halo of Spores reaction. So 
This one, you get a bit of a ranged attack with your Halo of Spores, but it almost feels a little bit weaker because there is that saving throw now, and you can't use it again until uh, you can use your reaction again. So not the greatest, but uh, still kind of fun for certain circumstances. And then at 14th level, you get your fungal body. So your fungal spores and your body alter you. You're no longer able to be blinded, deafened, frightened, or poisoned. And any critical hits against you count as a normal hit instead, unless you're incapacitated. Which, as far as 14th level uh, subclass abilities go, that is ridiculously powerful and really nice, I think. And really kind of fits that flavor of, well... You're a mushroom man. Of course you're not going to be blinded or be afraid of being poisoned or anything. You literally thrive in these kind of environments. So I think that's pr- that's pretty nice. Yeah, that fungal body is amazing. Um, it's, I mean, I think critical hits against you count as a normal hit. That's like, that's huge because critical hits can really... They can kill your character. Um, Especially when you're up there at 14th level and you're fighting things that are, you know, uh, adult dragons and whatnot or uh, arc devils and such. Some powerful shit. Um, Ashley and Evan, you guys want to chime in at all before we get to our next subclass? I think the Circle of Spores Druid is pretty dope. Yeah. Pretty dope. Ashley, anything? I just I love how creepy it is. It 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 is very creepy. Um, Joe, you were talking about how it was uh, first in Ravnica and then got like a update in Tasha's Cauldron of everything. Yeah, and... they didn't really change too much actually between the two books. I think if right. anything, it was just more or less just to reprint it to make it more available because you know all the other stuff that Tasha's bring to brings to the table that. It's kind of that little bit of a catch-all of subclasses printed in specific uh, alternate books. Right. Tasha Tasha brought together all the different like one-off classes, backgrounds, stuff like that that had shown up like in campaign settings and other stuff beforehand. Um, but I love, you know, somebody who played Magic and had a Golgari deck, like I just I love that this is like almost a bad guy subclass but not quite you know it's it's not quite like hey you're like a fallen paladin or like a death cleric it's like uh, you just you know you, you understand nature's uh, cycle of life and you just happen to be near the end of that cycle it's i was gonna say it reminds me a lot of like the the neutral like this is just the nature of life and death cycle like yeah i like it a lot it's, it, it's cool. dripping with flavor and lore, and I it, it, it's got a special place in my heart because I know I've said it before on this podcast where Ravnica is one of my favorite settings from Magic the Gathering. It was one of the main ones that I joined in at, uh, got really into playing the game, and just seeing those kind of things kind of brought back into D&D in a very flavorful way. Like I, I really appreciate those things. Agreed. All right, so Evan, you are going to take us through the Circle of Wildfire. uh, Indeed. And that is from Tasha's as well. 
And the idea behind that is it embodies both creation and destruction in the same way that a forest fire will destroy a forest, but at the same time, that same destruction paves the way for the forest to, reborn, to be reborn anew. The circle of wildfire kind of reflects that uh, dual nature. And their uh, spell ref uh, selection, you see, you know, uh, for example, at second level, they get the spell selection of Burning Hands and Cure Wounds. At third level, they get Flaming Sphere, Scorching Ray. At fifth level, they get Plant Growth and Revivify. So you see a lot of fire spells and a lot of healing spells and reflecting that uh, creation destruction. Um, and their main feature, which I think is really cool, is their Wildfire Spirit, which they get at second level, which lets them summon an Elemental which uh, gets the ability to throw this flame seed. Um, and it's, uh, without going into the all the minutiae of its stats, it, you know, it like a lot of the uh, um, classes that give you a summon creature, it gets better as you level up. Um, it gets like a fiery teleportation. And, you know, it as your proficiency bonus goes up, it increases its uh, ability as well. And, you know, it shares your initiative count. And it's, you know, just this cool little fire spirit. And it says, you know, it you basically choose the form it takes. It can be, you know, a uh, beast-like creature or, you know, it's up to the uh, player to decide how exactly it looks. But, you know, it's just a cool little summon companion. Uh, and then at sixth level, they get a uh, enhanced bond, which uh, the bond of your wildfire and spirit enhances your destructive and restorative spells. When you cast a spell that deals fire damage or restores hit points while your wildfire while your wildfire spirit is summoned, roll a d8 and you gain a bonus equal to the number rolled to one damage or healing spell roll. In addition, when you cast a spell within range other than with a range other than self, the spell can originate from you or your wildfire wildfire spirit, which is kind of a really cool little ability. Um, gives you the ability to give a bonus to either damage or healing. Which uh, is a you know you don't which you know is again you know as a class that both heals and does damage makes sense to do that and I don't think uh, at least I'm not aware of any other class that lets you buff both healing and damage. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat, and I think being able to like add even more range to your different spells like by having you know you and your right. wildfire spirit on the table like it's really nice to be able to you know heal or deal damage to something that you know is maybe just a little bit out of your range right uh for the spell uh given giving you that boost is really nice and going off of that, at 10th level, you get Cauterizing Flames, which, without reading through the whole entry, basically, whenever you kill a creature, a little uh, spectral flame appears, any creature is smaller, larger, and uh, on your turn, whenever uh, someone moves through that area, you can choose you to use your reaction to make the flames disappear, and uh, either that creature that moves through it is healed for 2d10 plus your Wisdom modifier, or is damaged for a 2d10 plus your wisdom modifier, depending on, you know, whether they're friendly or hostile. Again, you know, reflecting the fact that you can creation to destruction. And again, yeah. you know, that's a really neat ability and it gives you this really cool battlefield control ability of if you're throwing out a bunch of damaging spells and, you know, you're fighting a bunch of enemies and you still have 
creatures on the battlefield, being able to choose, you know, whether to heal an uh, an ally or harm an enemy that's moving around. Really cool ability. Uh, and then finally, at 14th level, you get Blazing Revival, which this is one of my favorites. The bond with your wildfire spirit can save you from death. If the spirit is within 120 feet of you when you are reduced to zero hit points and thereby fall unconscious, you can cause a spirit to drop to zero hit points. You then regain half your hit points and immediately rise to your feet. Once you, once you use this feature, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. So basically, you get an instant revival at half your health. And you lose your spirit, but again, that's a really cool feature. Yeah, super cool. Um, Ashley, your thoughts on the, uh, the wildfire, uh, circle. It was the first time I've even paid attention to that entry, um, but I really do like the versatility of the heal or damage. Um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and that's nice because if your party already has, like, two healers, you can be more focused on dealing out some damage or your party is kind of doing the no dedicated healer then you get to be part of that like hey i i I can do some healing here and there like and actually some of it is uh really effective (laughs) um joe any thoughts about wildfire before we move on anytime anytime i've seen or heard of a wildfire drew being played the immediate thing i think of is basically like role-playing a living phoenix Cause you're just all over the place with it and either doing damage or healing up your party. Like it's been said, but that blazing revival just reminds me very much of, Oh no, I'm a pile of ash psych. No, I'm not. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Um, next up is we've got the, uh, circle of stars and Ashley is going to take us through that. Yep. Um, this is, like I said, I, I'm such a sucker for anything celestial. Um, this is really cool to me. This is basically like taking the druid and melding it with constellations. Um, at a second level, they get a something called a star map, which they have a table for what this can depict. And it's, it's really cool. It could be something as simple as literally drawn constellations. To uh, my favorite is the a crystal that you, when placed before a light, projects those uh, constellations. Um, and you can use it as your spell focus, which is really cool. Um, gives it a dual purpose. And while holding it, uh, you get guidance, the cantrip, um, and you get guiding bolt, and it counts as a druid spell for you. Um, and you can use it without expending a spell slot. Um, yeah. The other thing you get at second level um, is starry form, um, which instead of like becoming actual beasts or animals, you could become almost a, a constellation yourself. Um, you're still a beast. Uh, they have three different types, the archer, palace, and dragon, and they don't have their own um, different beings, but you are a glimmering uh you have a glimmering body with constellations depicted on you. Um, the archer is gives you an attack where you can hurl a luminous arrow at your targets, giving you a ranged attack, dealing radiant damage equal to 1d8 plus your wisdom. Um, the chalice is um, 
a life-giving goblet is what they call it. Um, it restores hit points, uh, allowing you to give yourself or a, another creature within 30 feet of you a D8 plus your wisdom modifier hit points. And the dragon is... Uh, so, a uh, wise dragon appears on you, and when you make a wisdom check or con save uh, to maintain concentration on a spell, you can treat it uh, roll of 9 or lower on the d20 as a 10, so you're never... Uh, rolling lower than a 10, hopefully, on your uh, concentration at that point. Um, and then at uh, 6th level, um, you get something called Cosmic Omen. Um, when you do so, you, um, after a long rest, you consult your star map. When you do so, you get to roll a die. Um, until you finish your next long rest, you gain access to a special reaction. So there's wheel, which is on even roll. Um, so you can use your reaction to roll a d6 and add the number to someone's attack roll, a saving throw, or an ability check. Um, or well, when you're odd, you do the same thing, roll a d6, but instead you subtract it from a creature you can see within 30 feet of you. Um, and, um, at 10th level... I, I think I misspoke a little earlier. The starry form at second level isn't quite yet the constellation. The tenth level, um, your starry form improves. Um, those second uh, second level starry forms, archer, chalice, and dragon, become better. Um, sorry, I don't know if you can hear my cat. Um, but it adds a D8 to the archer. The chalice becomes 2D8 uh, for healing. And when the dragon's active, um, you can you get a flying speed of 20 feet and can hover. Um, while in your starry form, you can also change which constellation is on your body, um, which is makes it a little more versatile. Um, and then at 14th level, in your starry form, you become partially incorporeal, giving you resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. Um, I just I really like the flavor of this. Um, and as, what I misspoke about earlier is that the constellation is more kind of like a, almost a tattoo, um, but uh, gives you a little extra like celestial coolness to your wild shape. So. Yeah, I think what I love about this and the 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 wildfire also is just the versatility that this gives you because. Again, you've got the option to go like, you know, more damage focused with the archer, more healing focused with the chalice. Um, and then the dragon gives you, you know, some some more like control or movement based uh, bonuses. Um, it's just it's a really neat uh, it's a really neat class that, or a subclass that, again, just gives you some different uh, some different options to let you be that very versatile versatile uh character in the party um evan any thoughts on the uh circle of the stars druid uh i you know as someone who i think i played a druid all of once but uh so i don't have a whole lot of experience with it but i think this looks like it could be a pretty dope one to play uh I think, you know, yeah. the ability of the uh, Cosmic Omen is a pretty cool ability. Uh, 
as is a starry form. So yeah, again, you know, I don't don't have a whole lot of thoughts on druids as a whole, but uh, I would give it a shot. Yeah. All right. Um. So I'm going to take us through the circle of dreams. Um. So at second level, they get balm of the summer court. And you have a pool of Fey energy represented by a number of D6s equal to your Druid level. And as a bonus action, you can choose one creature within 120 feet of you and spend a number of those dice equal to half your Druid level or less. And you roll the spent dice and add them together. The target regains a number of hit points equal to the total. The target also gains one temporary hit point per die spent. And you regain all expended dice when you finish a long rest. So... This is nice because it's some some light healing that gets better as you level up. Um, at sixth level, uh, during a shorter long rest, at the start of the rest, uh, you touch a point in space, and an invisible thirty foot radius sphere of magic appears centered on that point, and total cover blocks the sphere. And while within the sphere, you and your allies gain a plus five bonus to dexterity, stealth, and wisdom perception checks. And any light from open flames in the sphere, like a campfire or torches, isn't visible outside of it. So this is really like more of a, I guess, um, like role playing type thing. But it's always nice when you're camping um, or trying to take that long rest to have a little more protection from things in the outside world. Um, at 10th level, uh, they get hidden paths. Um <clears throat> And as a bonus action, you can teleport up to 60 feet to an unoccupied space you can see. Uh, or you can teleport one willing creature you touch up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space that you can see. And you can use this a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, and you regain all uses when you finish a long rest. This is really more of a like control-based feature, but it's great to be able to pop people around the battlefield um during the game and then at 14th level they get uh walker in dreams and when you finish a short rest you can cast one of the following spells without ex without expending a spell slot or requiring components dream uh with you as a messenger scrying or teleportation circle and the use of teleportation circle is special rather than opening a portal to a permanent teleportation circle opens a portal to the last location where you finished a long rest on your current plane of existence. If you haven't taken a long rest on your current plane, the spell fails, but isn't wasted. Uh, so this is kind of an interesting, it's much more like of a heady subclass. I feel like if you're trying to min max your character, I would probably not recommend the circle of dreams, but if you want to be somebody who's, doing lots of weird spell stuff. Like, I think that this one is kind of fun. One thing that this uh, subclass doesn't have that our previous three ones did was that it doesn't have, like, a way for you to burn your wild shape to do something else. Um, and so I think that does make it a little bit weaker than some of the other ones, but it's also still, like, if you're if you're wanting to do something that's a little more like fey magic um, with these different things. You're able to to do that here. Um, guys, did anybody want to chime in on the Circle of Dreams before we keep going? So this 
the way this is all kind of described, I don't know if either of any of you have watched um, the mini series of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, but the way this druid subclass kind of plays out really strikes me close to the, like you were describing that fey wild weird magic and kind of like etherealness that's moving between dreams and reality. This really reminds me of the fey uh, elf in uh, that series and how it would operate. And like, if I was to play a dream, uh, a circle of dreams, Druid, that would probably be my first inspiration for playing it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, Joe, you are going to take us next through the circle of the shepherd. All right. So where are my notes? There they are. So circle of the shepherd. Do you want to be a Pokemon master? Because this is kind of the best way to do it. Uh, No, in all truth, uh, the circle of the shepherd is that you, your kind of key role with this is playing a druid that is known for speaking with the beasts, speak, uh, operating more of the beasts. It plays more into utilizing either the conjuration of, animals are summoning uh throughout your efforts and you get a couple of interesting things such as uh to start with at second level speech of the woods you're able to converse with beasts and many fey so you automatically learn sylvan uh, learn to speak read and write sylvan and also beasts can just understand your speech and you're able to pick up on their noises notions and kind of get a better understanding or at least kind of speak directly to them. So if you're playing in a game that's like walking through a bunch of forests or encountering uh, sea creatures or things of that nature, where this is an ability that would play very, very well for some nice role play aspects, I think. Uh, The additional thing is that um, they get a spirit totem where you can call forth uh, nature spirits to basically around you. Uh, where you summon a incorporeal spirit within 60 feet. Uh, it casts its own aura, which can actually uh, give a boon to you and your allies. And you can you know, operate it like a summoned creature, effectively. Sticks around for a minute uh, until you finish a long rest or a short rest. So that's actually pretty nice. Uh, and the three types of spirits you can get, you can get a bear spirit, which gives you and your allies uh, some temporary hit points if they're within the area, uh, within the aura, as well as advantage on strength checks and saving throws. Then you can choose either a hawk spirit, where this is more for like kind of scouting things out. Uh, and within the area, you can use your reaction to grant advantage to an attack roll uh, within it. Uh, your allies also have advantage on perception, wisdom perception checks. And then your final choice of a spirit is a unicorn spirit, where kind of defensive in a way, and uh, your allies get uh, advantage on all ability checks made uh, to detect creatures within the uh, in the spirit's aura. You also get to cast a spell using a spell slot that restores hit points um, to any of the creatures inside or outside. Sorry, I misread that. Cast a spell using a spell slot that restores hit points to any creatures inside or outside the area. Each creature of your choice in the aura also regains hit points equal to your druid level. So 
kind of back to our cleric discussion a little bit where it's like, Hey, if you want to, if you want to be a heel bot, this is definitely a way to uh, get that out there and really help keep your party healthy. Yeah. And the fact that that's at second level is really nice to be able to be granting hit points to, to multiple party members from, yeah, from the way that Evan was talking about uh, your Red Hand of Doom game, that uh, it sounds like a unicorn spirit would have been very helpful. Uh, at 6th level, you get the Mighty Summoner feature, where uh, beasts that you beasts and fade that you conjure are a bit more resilient. So every creature that you summon through like conjure animals or um, uh, summon fae, uh, those kind of things... Those creatures appear with two extra hit points per hit die, and as well that their uh, natural weapons are considered magical for the purpose of overcoming, you know, resistances. Uh, at tenth level, you get Guardian Spirit, so your Spirit Totem safeguards uh, the beast and fey. Uh, when a beast or fey you've summoned or created with a spell ends its turn in your Spirit Totem aura that creature regains a number of hit points equal to your uh, druid level. So if you're being a Pokemon master, you want to keep your your critters uh, near your totem so that they're continuously being kept at full health instead of getting, uh, you know, fainting, on the gr- uh, fainting during combat. And then at 14th level, you get your Faithful Summons, where your nature spirits commune to protect with you when you are most defenseless. And this is actually really cool in the sense that if you're reduced to zero hit points or incapacitated against your will, you immediately gain the benefits of conjure animals as if you were casting it as a ninth level spell slot. Uh, So it summons four beasts of your choice that are challenge rating two or lower. The conjured beasts appear within 20 feet of you, and if they receive no commands from you, they protect you from harm and attack all your foes. So kind of an automatic thing uh, when you get downed, which is pretty impressive, I think. Yeah, I think we're starting to see that 14th level druids are uh, pretty cool. <laughs> like almost to the degree that they kind of almost sound better abilities compared to the actual capstone of you know, unlimited wild shape and uh, kind of a little bit more freedom in the spells that you cast, uh, whether you're wild shaped or not. Yeah, they're they're pretty neat. Um, Ashley, uh, any thoughts about the uh, about the circle of the um, circle of the shepherd? Honestly, like this is probably what I would want one of my next characters to be. Um, it, I've had my eye on it for a while. Um, the only thing, and druids tend to have this problem in general, is kind of the upkeep of keeping track of all those different creatures. But um, yeah, this is a very cool subclass. Uh, all right. Um, Evan, you are up next. You've got the Circle of the Land. Uh, Indeed. Druid. All right, so Circle of the Land, and this is kind of uh, a weird one, I feel like. So I'm going to kind of go over it, kind of uh, some of the things more briefly than some of the others. So uh, first off, you get a bonus cantrip uh, at second level. 
Uh, you get natural recovery. Starting at second level, you can regain some of your magical energy by setting in meditation, competing with nature. During a short rest, you choose expended spell slots to recover. Spell slots can have a combined level that is equal to or, or less than half your druid level. So basically, if and none of them can be at six level or higher. So basically, if you're a tenth level druid, you can regain up to five spell slot levels, meaning you know, one fifth level spell slot, five uh first level spell slots, a uh, second level spell slot, or a third level spell slot. So that's a pretty cool ability to have. Um then also at second level, or not at second level, but one of the main features, arguably the main feature, the circle spells. And this is where the class gets kind of weird. Uh, you get spells based on the terrain you choose. And there are a lot of them. So uh, you have Arctic, Coast, Desert, Forest, Grassland, Mountain, Swamp, Underdark. And I'm not going to go through all of these, but... Like, for example, Arctic, you have, surprise, surprise, a lot of ice spells. Coast, you have water spells. Desert, you have uh, a lot of, like, more illusion spells. Forest, you've got uh, more nature-y type spells, I guess, tree spells, I would put it. Uh, mountain wall spells uh, and, you know, stone spells like stone shape, stone skin. Underdark, you've got insect spells and poison spells like cloud kill. Uh, stinking cloud and the like um so i mean there's a lot of variation there based on the terrain that you choose so i mean that's i feel like if you want a druid class that has a lot more variety with spells this is the one to choose but at the same time once you choose that you're kind of married into it it's not like you can choose from like a different one in each level so i mean it's kind of a weird little feature uh but anyway, that's the circle of the land. Uh, at sixth level, you get land stride. Basically, you can move through non-magical terrain. It costs you no movement. In addition, if you have to make a saving throw against, you know, magically created or manipulated terrain, such as an entangled spell, you have advantage. Uh, at tenth level, you get nature's ward. You can't be charmed or frighted, frightened by elementals or fey, and you're immune to poison and disease, which is really cool. And then at 14th level, you gain Nature's Sanctuary. Creatures of the natural world sense your connection to nature and become hesitant to attack you. When a beast or plant creature attacks you, that creature must make a Wisdom saving throw against your spell Druid's spell save DC. On a failed save, the creature must choose a different target or the attack automatically misses. On a successful save, the creature is immune to this effect for 24 hours. The creature is aware of this effect before it makes its attack against you. So essentially, you know, you can kind of walk around and creatures, you know, natural creatures are not really going to want to attack you. So that's a pretty cool ability. Um, that's just really quickly going through Circle of the Land. And I mean, overall, it's one of those classes that I mean, or one of those subclasses that it's kind of hard for me to get a beat on. And I'd have to kind of play it before I tell you, you know, eh, because kind of looking at it on the page. I won't say that it's bad. Because some of the features, you know, I think the uh, Nature's Ward and Landstride are pretty cool. And Nature's Sanctuary, um, at 14th level, how much are you really worrying about getting attacked by, like, you know, not, you know, normal natural creatures? So, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like a lot of it is, and, you know, and the spells, you know, being married into it. I feel like it's kind of, you know, one of the least impressive of the Druid classes. But that's me. Yeah, I, I 
I think again, this one along with the uh the circle of the dreams, like it's a little more like role play focused and you know, maybe you're like some kind of Arctic druid and that like plays into more of your like background or some of the story. Like I could see if you were doing like an Icewind Dale campaign or something, being an Arctic druid like might be beneficial to have some of those bonuses and stuff, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, I think what we're seeing with the Druid is when you get to have special stuff that you turn into with your wild shape, like, it tends to be a little bit cooler. Um, all right, uh, Ashley, are you ready to take us through the Circle of the Moon? Yes. Um, Circle of the Moon is the other uh, circle that's in the player's handbook. It's probably the most rid of the druid ones if you really like wild shape. Um, what it does is at second level, um, it you can use wild shape as a bonus action instead of an action, which is pretty good. Um, and then you can, while you're wild shaped, you can use a bonus action to expend a spell slot and give yourself uh, D8 hit points per level of the spell slot and it expended. Um, so it kind of extends the current wild shape that you have. Um, the circle forms is something you also get at second level. Um, it lets you wild shape into things of a higher CR than usual. Um, which opens up a lot of different types of creatures. However, it, it, you still are limited by like the swim speed, climb speed, fly speed, um, things from the beast-shaped table. Um, and then at sixth level, you can transform into a beast um, that is has, has a challenge rating as high as your druid level divided by three rounded down. Um, makes you do some math, um, but definitely opens up the the creatures that you can transform into and makes it a lot more powerful. Um, at also at 6th level, you get Primal Strike, which makes uh, your beast attacks count as magical for the purpose of overcoming resistance and immunity to non-magical attacks. Um, at 10th level, you can expend two uses of your wild shape, which, remember, that's all we have, um, to transform into an air elemental, earth elemental, fire elemental, water elemental, um, instead of a beast. Um, that's interesting. Um, not sure how useful that is. Um, I'm sure it's useful because it gives you different damage types, but um, it feels out of place with the rest of things to me. Um, and then Thousand Forms uh, lets you, at 14th level, um, you get to alter your physical form in a subtler way, and you can alter yourself at will. Um, that also, to me, feels a little out of place, unless, like, I don't know. Um, I, yeah, it's... Okay. I, well, I was just going to say, it's funny, you know, it's like, oh, circle of the moon and circle of the stars, like, how are those so different? And it's like, well, the circle of the moon has very little to do with the moon, and <laughs> yes. that's why we needed another celestial, uh, like, path, but I will say that as far as like just 
getting really awesome wild shapes. I mean, this means that at ninth level, you know, you can be a become a CR three beast. Um, and which is uh, cool, yeah. And you know, as far as the elemental wild shape goes, it's nice that it's not something that you had to pick ahead of time. But it yeah. does feel like maybe the elemental wild shape would fit better with the circle of the land, like, and you know, yeah, yeah, it definitely in. seems like that's the more fitting place considering <laughs> transforming into elementals, right? Whereas, like, some of the moon stuff, like, I know mentioning the uh, sorcerer, the lunar subclass for sorcerer, that almost those kind of things seem more in line with like some of the druid stuff for being a circle of the moon versus just, Hey, you can be a higher level, uh, uh, use a higher CR level for your wild shapes. There, to me, I think the moon aspect comes into like, uh, suggestive of lycanthropy is, is how I think about it, where you're mm. being more attuned with the moon, like in that way that where you are able to become stronger creatures, um, it's a very loose and there's nothing to say that it's just what my mind draws from it. That makes sense. And I will say this. I think Evan, for sure you would agree with me that six level, your beast form uh, attacks counting as magical uh, for the purpose of overcoming resistance and immunity to non-magical attacks. That is something that is just really nice to have because absolutely. You know, starting at sixth level is about where you start facing enemies who are like, oh, they have resistance to, you know, piercing, bludgeoning, and slashing. So uh, it's nice. Which is. Go ahead. I was just going to say, that's like, which is almost everything natural creatures do. So it's a necessity. Yeah. Uh, I, I think what's weird about this class is that. I actually really like most of the features in this class, although I feel like the 14th level one is probably the weakest out of all of the subclasses. But I don't feel like that the different, like, it's like, oh, you're, it feels like more of like a jack of all trades druid. It's like, ah, oh, you're really good at turning into beasts and you got magic attacks and, uh, like, you know, you, then you can become an elemental if you become a 10th level, you know, circle of the moon. And it's like, all right, like, don't know how it adds up, but it, it it also feels in some ways kind of like a more vanilla. Like it's like maybe you're just really good at your normal wild shape. And so I, I still think it's a, a fun subclass, but it is just like um interesting to me. Uh yeah. And I I think like it, it very much to me feels vanilla druid if you're especially if you're really into the wild shape. Yeah. But what I like about that's something I like about 5e in general is that even some of the most vanilla stuff gets pretty awesome and still fun to play. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's the druid. That's all the rules as written for the druid. Um, what are some of your guys' favorite things about the druid uh that we've discussed? Uh we'll go ahead and Joe, we'll start with you. So what are what are some of the favorite things that the druid brings to the table for you uh let's see uh i mean i already kind of you know nerded out over how i enjoy the shepherd and the um spore druids and the way that they operate for 
playing as a character, but also if you have as a DM, like having an arch druid and the spell choices that you have available for what druids can cast. Oh, the fun that you can make. You can make it a very memorable encounter between just like having party camp out in the woods and they know that they're here to investigate, you know, some like weird magics and things that are going on or just like, Hey, people are being, you know, going missing in there. Oh, turns out the reason is because somebody pissed off, you know, a Druid circle that's been taken up a uh, residence there and they don't want any more trespassers. So they send stampeding elephants through the woods because of conjure animals. And you don't know which one's the Druid because they've wild shaped in among them and all, and just, absolute havoc that you can create with druids and some ingenuity is very, very fun to me. Yeah. Um, Evan, uh, favorite, favorite things about the druid. Uh, I like that. It's a class you can do a lot of different things with, uh, you know, I like classes that you not pigeonhole into doing just one thing and, uh, druid, you know, you can go, you know, be a really casty and you know do dps although a wizard or you know you can focus a lot more on healy type music magic and you know you can do function as you know party healer if you don't have a cleric or you know you can focus in on wild shape and uh do you know melee if needs be so you know you can kind of fulfill three different roles none of them as you know as well as a wizard or a cleric or a fighter but three of them reasonably well. And I think that's pretty cool that one class can do all those three things. Yeah, I agree. Um, Ashley, what's, what's your favorite stuff about the wizard here? It, Sorry, honestly, it's, not a wizard. It's a druid. <laughs> uh, honestly, I, I just like the flavors so much. Like I, there are definitely some misguided druids or ways to play misguided druids who probably think they're doing the right thing, but, like, I just get the warm and fuzzies from, like, protecting nature. Um, like, it's it's hard not to get behind that and feel like you're doing the right thing. Um, but also, like, animals are just fun. Um, I know that's very simple-minded, but um, it, there's just a lot of good in birds. I, I think you're right, and, you know, they're... They have a lot of versatility, like Evan said, um, and without there being as many like nature focused classes or subclasses, um, this is a really cool way if you do want to have that like, you know, that like I want to be a wolf or like I want to, you know, be this like, you know, champion of animals or whatever, um, you know, it, it gives you that ability and so i think there's some really neat stuff and and again just the variety of subclasses you know whether you're like yeah i'm a druid but i'm like really focused on like the cleansing fire you know in a wildfire druid or yeah i'm a druid but uh like i i think that fungus and spores like and like the cycle of life is really important or you know focusing on the stars or on you know um you know, or just being somebody who's all about turning into higher level creatures. It's, it's a really neat and fun class. And, um, you know, I think 
dreams and land are probably not as good as far as like the crunch or like you know combat focus type druids but uh i think that you know you can overcome that with role playing and also just you still get spells as those classes so it's it's really just what you want to be and again it's very versatile similar to the bard and in some ways it feels like it can be even more versatile than the bard um yeah one thing i kind of want to add on that note is like this does tend to be especially once you get into either summoning animals or kind of different wild shape farms it can be a more complex class um and not to get too like in the weeds of things but if you're playing a druid like as a dm like on roll 20 for example i will make character sheets for each of those animals that they can be so that they always have those available i definitely suggest making sure that that player has those like front and center when they're ready to use them yeah i i think if you're playing to use wild shape a lot to wild shape into lots of different things you owe it to your dm to be prepared for that well hello everyone Unfortunately, we had a malfunction with our recording software, and so we lost the last three to four minutes of this episode. But I did want to share with you the Kickstarter that we had found because I do think it will be helpful for many of our DM friends out there. Uh, this Kickstarter is Remarkable Guilds and Their Heroes, GM Guide for Any RPG, and it is produced by Lore Smith. This is the fourth in their Remarkable series. They also have done Remarkable Shops and Their Wares, Remarkable Cults and Their Followers, and Remarkable Inns and Their Drinks. Um, so uh, this one is all about building a guild and fleshing out the lore and story. There are maps for the guilds in there. There are different ideas. I think they have 10 different types of guilds. Uh, there's different guild leaders involved in it. Um, there's tons of different like extra stuff that you can throw in there, like goblets and dice bags and metal coins and stuff like that. Um, but the base pledge for the PDF is about $17. And the base or the pledge that includes all four of those books, again, that's guild, shops, cults, and inns is about $45. And again, we like to focus on Kickstarters that are done by people who have shown that they can produce a product in the past. And I think that this one looks very interesting to me, and I think it's probably worth checking out, especially if you're a DM. For the rest of the crew, thank you, Evan. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Ashley, especially for joining us here. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode all about druids. We'll be back in a couple weeks to talk about Call of the Netherdeep and also the new book that was just pre uh, previewed by Dungeons & Dragons. This has been an episode of Monster Soundwave, an unofficial D&D podcast. And for everybody else, I'm Rob Snow. Have a great time gaming.